After months of the battling during the presidential elections, the nation of Brazil finally elected a brand new president, which is Lula the Challenger. Much to everyone's surprise that Bolsonaro during the presidential election made a greater effort in terms of communicating his messages crystal clear to the voters in Brazil. But somehow, again, by the near chances that Lula was able to run out this election, become the next president of the country. Now, how about the fate of the nation for this new president? And how about some of the economic and political agendas under Lula? But meanwhile, we all know that the United States of America is also standing at the crossroads. And this nation is also paying closer attention regarding the political changes in Brazil. How should we understand the future relations between Lula and President Biden for the rest of his two terms? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, Dr. Marcus de Freitas. Dr. Marcus is a senior fellow at Policy Center for the New South, focusing on international law, international relations, and Brazil, and he's currently a visiting professor of the international law and international relations at China Foreign Affairs University in Beijing, China. Dr. Marcus, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. Thank you so much. Well, it's a great pleasure to talk to you and the audience of your program. Dr. Marcus, again, let's get started. As we mentioned before, not too long ago, you and I, we were discussing regarding this presidential election between Bolsonaro and Lula. But again, in a split second, the result came out. Lula won nearly, again, it was a very close call when the results came out, became the next president for Brazil. Help us to understand what was your reaction initially regarding Lula's uh, winning to be the president, and also what does that mean for the people in Brazil? You know, well, in principle, I don't think that Lula should have been re-elected for a third term in office because of the many challenges that resulted from his presidency in Brazil. You know, he basically supported and he was a great supporter of his successor. He was able to make his successor, Ms. Dilma da Silva, Ms. Dilma Rousseff, uh, who had a disastrous presidency in Brazil, which eventually led her to be impeached, uh, led to her impeachment, because, you know, Brazil faced economic results that you would only have after a war. Unemployment went high, and uh, everything the the indexes were really really bad. And it wasn't only her; it was a package that started during the Lula years that continued and eventually, you know, erupted when she was president. And the Brazilian establishment somehow said, "Okay, now it's time for us to get rid of her," and we did. And the Brazilian uh, population was able to do that, which was a very complicated process because it took like almost a year. It was very difficult and challenging. And now Lula was in prison for, you know, corruption mm. at a major, you know, company in Brazil, the Brazilian oil company. And uh, even though he might say that he was held innocent, it's not true, you know, because he had influence in the Brazilian Supreme Court. His political party appointed eight of the 11 judges, you know, one of them was even, believe it or not, I was so embarrassed to see that, that one of them might even be 
nominated to be minister in his government or even uh, uh, you know ambassador of Brazil to a country. So you mm -hmm. see how you know intertwined these interests are. So Lula shouldn't be elected, you know, in principle. But the problem is that Bolsonaro managed to be worse than Lula in mm -hmm. a sense. Uh, because if you look into the trend, all the presidents in the Americas who did not handle COVID well, which means uh, high numbers of deaths, and you see that Latin America was one of the regions in the world where it had the highest number of deaths related to COVID. All the presidents, and, uh, and not only Latin America, if you think about even the United States, you know, Trump wasn't reelected because of COVID, mm. not the economy. The economy was actually doing okay. But COVID, you know, had an impact on him. And it has been like this in all the elections that we have observed in Latin America, from Peru to Argentina to, you know, everyone, uh, Chile and now Brazil. So the pandemic really was the major driving force for Lula to get reelected. Bolsonaro wanted to run against Lula because he thought that Lula would be an easier candidate mm. to win because of the corruption charges and all that. But Lula revealed himself to be a formidable candidate, not only because of his past, but because he had, in a way, all the support from the majority of the media in Brazil, and he had the support of the Supreme Court. And, you know, he was able to, you know, captivate many people that felt that Bolsonaro had done a really lousy job with the pandemic. He was doing well in the economic side, but, uh, you know, his position, his uh, behavior sometimes, and the pandemic really killed him. But he didn't have a positive result because in the first round, he was about 6 million votes mm. behind Lula. So in a month, he was able to, you know, convert or, you know, gain 4 million people uh, to his side. But now the great thing is that there are many allegations of fraud in the election, uh, which is something that I do not think are going to fly, right? Because uh, the establishment of the country wants to have a peaceful resolution to this mm. election. So Lula will be the president for a third term. Well, Dr. Marcus, you kind of touch on the next topic, because again, as we mentioned before, when the election results came out, and when we look at the numbers, statistically speaking, it wasn't really a huge difference. So in other words, we could say that both candidates, they had actually won the hearts of the voters. But meanwhile, the news coverage mentioned one after another to say Bolsonaro once claimed that if he were not to be the next president and he was not going to accept this presidential result. So in other words, he tend to have this attitude that, hey, if I were not the president or if I'm not the next president, I am not going to have this peaceful transition, which we have seen the same thing happened in the U.S. before. And of course, we all know that the result was not promising. And of course, it was very devastating for the country. Now, help us to understand, again, despite everything you said about Lula, what was some of the actual issues that besides the pandemic really grabbed the attention of the Brazilian voters 
and so that the Lula was able to win the election. And meanwhile, how do you think we should understand this rhetoric from Bolsonaro if he's not going to accept the presidential results? Uh, the issue is that uh, I know Lula was president of Brazil in a good economic season for the country. Mm. And we owe that to the Chinese. You know, you have to remember that when he was president of Brazil, China became, you know, China became Brazil's number one trading partner. And not only that, you know, China uh, was also buying everything in Brazil because China was growing mm. and uh, and uh, all the programs that he did, you know, and the zero hunger and all that really what come, what made the whole successful period of Lula da Silva at the time was the Chinese purchases in Brazil. So, you know, he has to be very thankful for China in that special moment of the Brazilian economy. Now, he brought back with that some positive remembrances, like, you know, people were having, were making more money, people were flying more, there was no economic recession. So he actually mm. inherited a positive result from the previous government, which he called all the time as, you know, an evil inheritance or an evil legacy. But the legacy from the previous government allowed him to, you know, navigate these positive waters in the world in a, in a, in an easier way. Mm. And believe it or not, well, Brazil is a little counter-cyclical in the sense that when the world is doing poorly, Brazil is doing well. When mm. Brazil is doing well, uh, when Brazil is doing poorly, the world is doing well. We're a little counter-cyclical, and I never understood why, but uh, we, we feel like we're always at the end of the cycle. So, you know, you have the financial crisis, and then three years later, the financial crisis finally hits Brazil. So we have this internal dy uh, dynamic that is very interesting to observe from an economic viewpoint. We're always affected, but it's not precisely at the same time that mm. things are happening in the world. I know we have this isolation aspect in the, in the Brazilian history, but uh, so Lula has this positive memory and he basically appealed to the fact that, you know, remember when I was president, life was so good, everything was fine, mm. and now I'm actually going to be reelected, and you're going to be able to go on a barbecue and have a barbecue with your family and eat beer and drink beer because, you know, I'm going to bring back good memories and I'm going to bring love back to mm. Brazil. Well, it turned out that with a certain percent, 50% of the electorate in Brazil uh, kind of bought this because, you know, uh, and they bought it because Bolsonaro wasn't able to be a competitive candidate in a sense he was a competitive candidate i'd say that well he managed to to get such an amount large amount of votes but there were some issues in the way he handled the situation the pandemic his relationship with the press mm. uh his constant fight with the press and you know the people that came out supporting his government really you know some people who did uh 
on the on the extreme right of Brazil, people whom I never, you know, I've always been a conservative in the sense, in the political sense, but I was surprised to see at uh, the people that Bolsonaro brought together with him into government and what came out. And that was a little scary for a moment mm. uh, because Brazilians are not used to that kind of uh, uh, polarization in a sense. And... Um, and Bolsonaro also had an important group that supported him was the evangelical movement of Brazil. And I think that the big mistake that he made, and I think that uh, well, and that was complicated too, is that he basically tried to transform this election between a fight uh, uh, and a fight between good and evil, mm. right? Which is something that, in a political sense, we realize that you know he's not only a He's, he's not a saint, and neither is his competitor. So transforming the whole thing into this, this you know, uh, eschatological dispute at the end of times, and, you know, if I don't get elected, it's the end of Brazil. I think that didn't fly well with many people, mm. right, you know. Uh, and one of the things that's kind of funny about his name is that his name is Jair Messias Bolsonaro, which is Messiah Bolsonaro. Messiah for Christian is the redeemer mm. and the guy who's going to come at the end of times and save the world. So, you know, there was a little sense that they tried to build uh, his image around this, you know, messianic approach that he was going to solve the problems and everything. He would be like the savior of the country. And in reality, these things did not happen. But there is no doubt uh, the way he behaved sometimes, the way he treated COVID, was really a killer for him. Mm. And he thought, and that's an interesting thing, because we always think, Will, that people are always going to vote with their pocket. That's right. right? And uh, we always think that people are going to vote with their pocket, and so they're going to be conservative economically and a little bit more advanced you know, socially. Mm. It's turning out that economically, people kind of like the idea of receiving government benefits and all that, so people are not so concerned about the pocket in the long run and the economy, how the economy is going to run, if they're doing well economically. And socially, we have become more conservative. Mm. So, uh, so it was an interesting thing that Bolsonaro, perhaps in the end, uh, he's trying to you know uh, mix these two situations and he didn't find the right equation. But the fact is that Lula doesn't have a hundred percent legitimacy in the sense that he he got elected by half of the country and the other half basically hates him and uh you know is having manifestations against his election and all that so it'll be like a rough period i do mm. not see uh you know people might say that he will be uh talented in handling the situation but i think it'll be a little difficult presidency because the, the the moment of the world is different. The economic boom that we had deriving from commodities is different. So there are many things that are a little different this time. Uh, of course, he's a very good negotiator. He may negotiate with Congress, you know, some issues that he wants to be done. But, you know, uh, I think he's going to have a hard time. Dr. Marcus, again, as we mentioned before in during the intro, not only that the Brazilian political atmosphere was standing at the crossroads but meanwhile within the next 48 hours 
the fate of America can also be changed as well because we know that this nation is facing this midterm election. And again, based on the media coverage, former President Barack Obama, former President Donald Trump, and the current President Joe Biden, all of them came out are very hard campaigning for different candidates from key states to key states. But meanwhile, we know that from Barack Obama to Trump to Joe Biden, every single one of them also paid attention to the relationship between U.S. and Brazil uh, for so long, you know, for political reasons or for economic interests. Now, Dr. Marcus, I want to get your reaction. Now, Lula is the new president of Brazil, but meanwhile, the U.S. politics is also standing at the crossroads. How could you understand or how could you perceive this new relationship between Brazil and America at this moment, since America is already standing at the crossroads, domestically speaking and also internationally? I think that with Biden, Lola will have a positive relationship like he did with Obama. Uh, Obama, in one of the meetings that they had, I think was at the G20, he looked mm. at Lula and said, well, this is the guy, right? He called Lula the guy because, you know, <laughs> Lula had a high popularity rate at the time when he was president of Brazil. And uh, uh, so there was that positive aspect. And one of the things that you have to realize, Will, is that the political agenda of the Workers' Party in Brazil is very similar to the agenda of the Democratic Party mm. in the United States. You know, these values issue, not, uh, the some of the practices regarding abortion rights and some of, you know, the social issues of the uh, of the American leftist movement is very similar to what Brazil has. Um, because Brazil has imported these issues into its political agenda and in its poli political arena. So with Biden, I think the relationship is going to be an easy one. Mm. The problem is that the day after tomorrow, Biden will be a lame duck president. Mm. Because as it looks, you know, from what we see and the, in and the perspective is that he might not be able to hold control mm. of the House of Representatives and the Senate. So he might lose control of both houses and he is going to be stuck with the, you know, his status as a lame duck president because he's not going to be able to uh, pass any major issues of his legislation that he wanted to pass and the great challenge that he will face if he loses control of both houses uh, is that uh, particularly the house of representatives is that it's going to be payback time mm. uh, for what the democrats did to donald trump like you know impeaching him twice uh and the whole process and you have to realize too that in that sense uh trump is gaining a lot of leverage mm. leverage in the whole process because you know many of the people who are getting elected or getting reelected or taking over positions are people who believe that the election was a fraud mm. and somehow uh they are major supporters of trump now, what is the result of all this? Well, the problem is that uh, there is a possibility of a Trump comeback. Mm. So if Trump comes back, it will be like in the middle of the Lula administration. Mm. Uh, 
And uh, so the relationship will tend to be a little bit uh, sour because the relationship, apparently the relationship between Bolsonaro and Trump where it was a good one. So I'm thinking that Lula today, when he's looking into this midterm election, he's probably hoping that Biden does better and that a Democrat gets reelected in, 2000, uh, you know, in 2024 as the next president of the United States. Now, the great challenge is this, and that's something that I wanted to emphasize here, too. Mm. Usually, when it comes to foreign policy, Republicans are better than Democrats. Mm. Right? They're better, you know, handling foreign policy and all that, because Democrats tend to be a little bit more protective of, you know, their, their the unions, the labor market, and all that. But we cannot discount the fact that ideologically, uh, Lula and Biden will be playing on the same field, even though, you know, uh, Lula will never go around the country defending abortion and abortion rights and, you know, Roe versus Wade and all that, because if he did that, he would basically be grilled by the Brazilian uh, evangelical movement, mm. which, you know, a, a portion of its electorate supported him. Dr. Marcus, I know you're very busy. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, let's talk about Lula again. Again, comparatively speaking, we know that whenever a new president is elected, after election, within the first 100 days, there have to be some signatory policies. So in other words, there has to be some drastic or dramatic changes within this domestic policies. Now, even though, again, we know that Lula has been elected as president before, but right now we're living at different time and different age, of course, that under globalization, everything seems uncertain. So I want to get your intake and I get your uh, perspective, Dr. Marcus. What do you think some of the significant policies under Lula's administration are going to come out very soon. So in other words, something so drastic and something so obvious that is very much different from what Bolsonaro had before. What what's your prediction for that? Uh, you're you're asking me a very tough question, right? <laughs> because the major problem that we have, Will, is that Lula didn't present a program for his government. Mm. So uh, and if he did, I didn't become familiar with it because, you know, until the last day of the election, they hadn't shown anything. So he was basically repeating that he was going to do the same thing that he did before, which, you know, if he does the same thing as he did before in the year of 2022, then we're going to be really screwed up, mm -hmm. right? Because it's the, the world has changed a lot. But there are a few things that you might see. Of course, there is a change of style, mm. right, in relation to Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro has, in a way, uh, isolated Brazil a little. Uh, Lula will tend to have more people that have an international experience. Now, he's going to probably to appoint to the, to the Brazilian uh, Minister of Finance position. He's going to appoint somebody who has, you know, a market reputation that is mm. positive in a way that uh, he will convey to the international investors that Brazil is not going to shift its focus and its uh, and its goals in the long term, right? Uh, he might have, you know, more concerns about implementing a more social agenda than Bolsonaro did, even though he's going to inherit uh, one program that is called the Brazil Brazilian 
Brazil Aid mm. uh, to poor people, which is going to have a different name because it was Bolsonaro's name. And whenever you have a new president, they change. It's always the same program, but they change the name according mm. to the president. Mm. Uh, so he will have to address this issue. But he comes at a time when, you know, the budget is a little tighter and he will have to negotiate a little bit more with Congress. Now, the problem is this. The way people negotiate with Congress is by using, you know, uh, breaking the pig bank mm. and uh, giving money and corruption. So the only issue is this, right? Are we going to return to the same process as we, as we had seen before? Because one thing we cannot forget is that one of the basic frameworks of the Lula administration style was the corruption that really gained and achieved higher levels mm. in Brazil during his, his government. So now with the media, hopefully, you know, more people looking into this situation, perhaps the flexibility that he had in the past as a negotiator might change. Mm. But Brazil is a great country. Brazil is a large uh, country. And I hope that one of the things that he might do that I think would be positive is if he looks into uh, the relationship with China with, you know, more careful eyes than he did when he was president. And uh, he is a little bit more committed to China than Bolsonaro was, who basically bought, you know, the trade war and the Trump and the conspiracy theories against China. I hope that Lula will have a, you know, a, a more, a wiser vision of the relationship with China and the, that we may improve the relations in that sense. So I think that would be a positive. Like mm. I think in that sense, not repeating the same mistake of Bolsonaro's look into China, I think, you know, that would be a good beginning already. Dr. Marcus, I want to wrap up our conversation by going back to the States. Again, as we mentioned before, within the next 48 hours, the fate of country can also be changed. Either way, you know, uh, Joe Biden is still going to be the lame duck president. But meanwhile, the Republicans are very excited about wooing the voters and hoping that to turn out for the uh, for the seats of the houses and also for the Senate. But meanwhile, Dr. Marcus, I want to ask a very simple question. Do you think that after this midterm election, we are going to see less polarization in the U.S. in terms of political no. polarization? And if so, why do you think that we're going to see more or we're going to see less? I really would like to get your reaction on this because we know that today, not only for the U.S., but also for many countries, Political polarization is driving people apart from each other. Now, only this move that really caused the damages in this culturally and also economically relationship. So let's just take for us, for example, how should we understand the political polarization and are we going to see any changes after the midterm election? I don't think so. And I'll tell you this, um, for for three reasons. Once, uh, one is that I, I read in the news a few times some time ago that 60% of the Americans thought that the United States would have a civil war in the future, in the next decade. So I, I was really surprised to see that number, you know, people thinking that it would be a civil war in the United States. Wow. Second thing is that, you know, you have, have figureheads in the whole process that are very divisive. Mm. And that is impossible to return the clock 
you know, Trump is not going to go away. Barack Obama is not is not going away, mm. right? And uh, and that is the challenge that we have there, right? Because uh, the actors behind this division is uh, they're not leaving the scene. Mm. And the third aspect is that you have some movements that um, or every movement that you have on one side, you have a reaction on the other one. So at the same time that you might have, you know, the evangelicals becoming stronger and all that, you have the values, uh, you know, the LGBTQIA and the other groups that are somehow, you know, uh, establishing a balance in this situation. And they have a very conflictive uh, perception of things on one side and the other. So I think that the more one side tries to implement its vision, the resistance on the other side increases. And that mm. is, an, you know, something that spirals. And the problem is that none of the two, none of the two sides, either Biden or Trump, have the capacity to, you know, be able to be the adult in the room mm. and, you know, appease the situation and say, you know what, we're not going to go anywhere mm. because they have the problem is that with the social media will, they only talk to their base. And in order to talk to their base, they need to keep their base warm and up in arms. And the way to do that is by polarizing. You know what, Dr. Marcus, you made a great point because, again, by research, social media has been the number one reason why people have seen the increase in crimes and also in political division. And we just hope that those big tech companies are able to do something so that people can realize the value of have decent conversation among one another. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Dr. Marcus DeFritas. And Dr. Marcus, it's a senior fellow at Policy Center for the New South, focusing on international law and international relations and in Brazil. Dr. Marcus, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. Again, it's always been a pleasure speaking to you, not only about these political changes in Brazil, but also about any other political changes across the continent. We love to have you back on the show as soon as we can find the results or we can the results come out regarding the midterm election or the future of the country. Thank you, Dr. Marcus, for doing this.